Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. This episode is sponsored by Happy Fox Health, a natural supplement brand focused on CMOS, a marine algae that has 92 out of 102 essential nutrients that your body needs to thrive and regenerate. I've used a number of their products and found it's really given me clarity of mind. Visit happyfoxhealth.com and use promo code THECRAFT for an exclusive 15-20% to 20% discount off your first product purchase. As a number of you know, I'm also a certified sound therapy practitioner and founder of Oto Healing, a sound therapy studio and practice. Sound has been a healing modality through many cultures for thousands of years. Oto's approach to sound is rooted in both art and science, the art being the history of sound, the science being quantum physics, biology, brainwave states, and more. All listeners of the show get 15% off their first private one-hour session. Visit otohealing.com to book yours now. Clay and Cody Allman are two of the most down-to-earth entrepreneurs around. Together, the identical twin brothers started Boxset Collective, a company that runs a number of well-loved eat-and-drink establishments. Published on Maine, Bar Susu, Twin Sales Brewing, Thorn and Burrow Wine, Mama Said Pizza, and coming soon Novella Coffee Bar. They were born and raised in Maple Ridge, BC, to hippie parents that split when they were still young. Their father found himself a career in tech and worked long hours, often leaving them to their older sister's care or to fend for themselves. In the last year of their high school, a major decision was made to move the family to a tiny town in California, closer to Silicon Valley. It upended their lives, but Cody and Clay were resilient enough to find their way. With Cody returning first, the brothers moved back to Vancouver and began their respective careers. After separate winding paths in the hospitality and corporate worlds, they came together to found Twin Sales Brewing, with the manual labor and search for much-needed last-minute financing handled by them. The brewery has since won accolades for their craft beer, and their Mount Pleasant restaurant, published on Maine, won number one on Canada's Top 100 Restaurants list for 2022. In this conversation, we explore the resilience and resourcefulness they've built up since childhood, their entertaining recount of chapters in the hospitality and corporate industries, what they learned building Twin Cells Brewing, and what advice they'd give to aspiring restaurateurs, their creative process when ideating a new establishment, the long-term vision for Boxset Collective to support and fund emerging entrepreneurs, how to maintain team culture and be a great leader, hospitality and restaurants being a people-first industry, what they've learned from one another, and more. Please enjoy this engaging, nugget-filled conversation with two very good people, Cody and Clay Allman. Cody and Clay Allman. Welcome to The Craft. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming in and, and having a, a chat with me. Yeah. Glad to have you here. <laughs> I'm, uh, is there any way we can decipher from our voices, by the way? Because this is going to get confusing, <laughs> I feel like. Yeah, the last time we did the podcast, we sounded the same. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I mean, we can't be like 
This is Clay saying. <laughs> uh, put her hands up. Oh, that's myself every time I say. I think it'll be fine. I think it'll be fine. Okay, Cody. So you dropped a bomb on me about your last name. That it's you're the first generation of almonds, which is interesting. I'd love to know what that's all about. Yeah, I looked it up actually a few years ago, just out of interest, and the internet has the power to do that now, apparently. And uh, just trying to look up our last name to see how many there. There was one other person in Australia, Australia for some reason. Wendy. Yeah. Don't really know what that's about. But okay. other than that, there's just the six of us, I believe, in, in wow. BC. But uh, yeah, no, our parents made up their last name. My dad's last name was actually Allard, and my mom's was Meineker. And they took the first three letters <laughs> of each oh. name and made Almond because they didn't want to take each other's names, I guess. And oh they were hippies and you know, all that stuff. So yeah, <laughs> yeah there's uh, no other Almonds in the world. That but, uh, is amazing. That's yeah, the first yeah. time I've ever heard of... Yeah, a blended last name in that way. Like, not yeah. hyphenated, but actually blended. Yeah, I mean, every That's last cool. name's made up, but, like, this is... Uh, it's been a while, I think, <laughs> since somebody did it. <laughs> oh, that's what you get when you have hippie parents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think they're living Free in teepees at that point. So. Yeah, living in teepees on a marijuana farm, I believe, yeah, back in the 70s. I, I feel like this is for real stories. <laughs> oh, so. this is a for real story. I yeah. don't want to get into the rest of it. Like I said, my mom might listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we met through Sophia, who is a friend of mine, and I feel that we have other common friends as well. But we also share a common bond that you guys were born and raised in Maple Ridge, BC. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I grew up there from 10 to when I when I left for university UBC at 18. So, I know what that I know what that place is like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'd love to know what childhood lo- was was like for you guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty typical, uh, you know, living in Maple Ridge, there's not a lot to do. You're trying to find ways to entertain yourself. There's a lot of time riding bikes and playing in gullies and, you know, mischief, <laughs> um, you know, we obviously being twin brothers, we, uh, had a lot of disagreements as kids. So there's a lot of fighting. That's for sure. I feel bad for our babysitters and our parents and our sisters and everybody <laughs> around us that had to deal with our our tantrums and our fights and all that stuff but uh yeah I mean growing up in Maple Ridge was definitely fun I'd say I mean it's definitely one thing that I've always missed living in Vancouver I've been here for 20 years now is uh you know Clay's always kind of stayed out in that that direction but I've always been drawn to eventually going back somewhere like that so that I can raise my kids with a bit of a yard and that kind of mm. thing. As much as I love the culture of Vancouver and have, having them be surrounded by that, the uh, the childhood that we had was pretty fun, I'd say. You know, a lot of people make fun of Maple Ridge. I mean, I do personally <laughs> but, uh, for some of its downfalls, but I think having the the freedom to do a lot of stuff out there was pretty fun as uh, kids. I, I do always find it odd, too, that like I find a lot of people who, like young adults who live in Vancouver, a lot of them grew up in the Burbs. A lot of them are from Burnaby in the West and, and Maple Ridge. I, I meet a lot of people down here that are have that similar story, whereas a lot of people who grew up in Vancouver tend to move out to the suburbs. It's kind of they do a switch. Mm. I don't know why that is. I always find that, though. I meet a lot of people that are from Vancouver out in the Burbs, and they've migrated out there in their yeah. young adulthood, but people who grew up in the burbs somehow are drawn to the big city and want to see that and experience it. So that's true. I mean, that's how I always felt. I was like, no, that I I know as soon as I can graduate and 
I'm gone, and yeah. I don't think oh, I'm coming back. Oh, I couldn't wait to get out of Maple Ridge. Yeah. A lot yeah. of fun memories, but yes. <laughs> I'm going to split the difference now. I'm in Port Moody, which is nice. Did you guys go off-roading in Stave Lake during your teenage years? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> all I, had, the time. I had a Jeep growing up. Oh, yeah. boy. Like, pull out yeah. roll bars, yeah, everything. The YJ, My friends yeah, had the, the samurai, samurais, oh. <laughs> samurais and all that stuff. Lift kits, yeah. It was either lifted or, or, or floored, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I had the uh, Civic with rims on it. Yeah. Way too big for the car. Just bottoming out every time I went over a pump. <laughs> oh, oh, the ridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'd love to know what your parents were like. Tell me about your mom. Tell me about your dad. Uh, well, our parents split up uh, when we were young. I think we were four or five, just going into school at the time. I remember going to my grandma's for the weekend and coming home, and mom didn't live with us anymore. So it was one of those situations. I was too young to really understand what was going on. But um, I think, well, like I said, we alluded to earlier, they're very much hippies in their youth, and they kind of. They, they met very young. They were 18. My mom was 18. My dad was 20. They were young when they first met, and they they had kids relatively. I think they had Bree when when dad was 24 and my mom was 22, like quite young. My oldest oldest sister, Bree, actually her name's actually Aura, to give you an example of the, mm. the state of mind they were in at the time. <laughs> her middle name was Bree, and she legally swapped it later oh. in life. Um but uh, yeah, they they kind of as they grew up. My dad uh, was very much uh, went towards that corporate mentality. He went to school. He got his uh, uh, electrical engineering degree and computer engineering. I can't remember now. Actually, he went to BCIT. And my mom was still very much that free spirited uh, personality, and it's kind of who she still is today. And so I think they kind of just drifted apart, which kind of led to them getting divorced. But you know, growing up, we we lived with our dad. Uh, he raised the four of us for whatever circumstances we ended up being with him as opposed to my mom. And, uh, you know, we, we, we got raised a lot by my older sister, I'd say, like, especially early on, she was eight years older than us. She, my older sister, Bree, and she, uh, she took care of us after school. My dad worked long hours. He worked in Vancouver. He was working in, um, in tech at the time. He was working for a company back then called Glenair. Uh, and so she, he was an hour and a half commute into work. This is before they expanded the highway. So you drive from East Maple Ridge out to Vancouver. It's a long drive. And so my sister, you know, she'd come home and she'd make us lunch and take care of us until dad got home and he dealt with dinner. And, you know, our, our childhoods were very much independent. We kind of had to take care of ourselves because, you know, nobody was really around back then. My sister was there, but she didn't want anything to do with us. <laughs> we were eight yeah. years younger and just a thorn at her side more than anything. But, uh, yeah, my dad is still very much that guy. I mean, he, he, he went, uh, went on and in continued in the tech industry. He went, he bounced around to a few companies. He ended up landing with this one called Anda and and this is right during the tech crash of 2001, and he was working in the industry, and 40% of the entire industry got laid off. And so he was put in a position where, you know, if I want to keep my job, I've got to move to California. And so we ended up moving to California, which sounds like it would be amazing, you know, getting to go from Vancouver to moving down to, to the, the Bay Not area. Vancouver, Maple Ridge. Maple Ridge. I'm, t- I'm talking <laughs> generally Maple Ridge down to, down to the Bay Area, which sounds amazing, but we got – you know, transplant in this absolute dump of a town called Hollister. And, uh, 
And you were you teens at this point, we or like we were in grade, grade twelve. Yeah. Oh, grade yeah. That is a tough year yeah, it was, to be. It was rough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mid semester. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. We were, yeah. We were. We were. Cody and I were plotting some way to stay so we could graduate in, in BC. My dad caught one. He got pretty pissed off at us, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like Hollister, you think there's a lot of four by fours in Maple Ridge? Let me tell you, you have not been to Hollister. There was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you didn't have a keg in the back of your lifted uh, Ford F-150. There was something wrong with you down there. <laughs> the, uh, but yeah, so he, and, and so he continued to raise us. He met my stepmom um, right that year. They actually were dating for about six months. And then this happened. And they kind of had to have this decision at that time. It was like, hey, if you want to come with us, we got to get married. Mm. So you can get a green card when we go down there. And so my, my dad married my stepmom after literally less than a year of being mm. together. And they, they got a little reception in the living room. I remember to this day, my little brother, Brandon, our stepbrother, uh, he was like six at the time. <laughs> it was just like, it was just out it's of this world. I didn't understand what was yeah. going on. It was yeah. this weird life event uh, that, that occurred for us. And like, like I said, we got changed schools when we were 17 years old going from the place we had been our entire lives in Maple Ridge. And we had all these friends up there, these people we knew. And it's like, hey, you know, we're going to move down to Hollister into a culture that has nothing to do with anything we've ever experienced before. And I expect you to make all new friends in six months because that's all you have in school. And by the way, you can't work, you can't drive because you're on a residential visa, not a permanent visa. It was horrible. That's tough. Like, it was horrible. And we could sending our little brother to get money to go hang out with their yeah. friends, you know, like it that was, was it. Yeah. brutal. Yeah. So restrictive. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that my, my stepmom couldn't work. Uh, she tried to start up a, she was a, a hairstylist. And so she was trying to start up a salon in the garage, but again, she didn't know anybody. And so I was like, how do you build that, that kind of clientele base? And so my dad was trying to support everything. And this is, this is right when California and the U.S. is, uh, real estate market was just taking off too so like he couldn't barely even afford to live we were living in a nice house up in maple ridge and and you know like it was still affordable i mean this is this is 25 20 some on years ago so real estate was still affordable and then he moves down to california and he goes from a three hundred thousand dollar house to to california where the average home is like eight or nine hundred thousand dollars at this point mm. and it's just like so we we're living on ends meat we couldn't work my mom couldn't work it was it was one of the worst years of my life in terms of like just dealing with some hardships that we up until that point never had to deal with. But, mm. you know, I think it, it lent a lot towards who Cody and I are today in terms of like the independence and who we are because we, we've been through those struggles. And like I said, when, when my parents split up when we were kids, we basically raised ourselves. Like we get home from work and just hop on our bikes. We go hit chuck dirt clods at each other in the backyard <laughs> like, play, whatever we could do to entertain ourselves because no one was around you mm. know so we kind of did our did our own thing yeah you just had yeah. to make your own your own way yeah were yeah. you guys did you guys feel resentful for your dad no. like toward your dad for a while or did no. you guys have the sense that this was just what needed to happen i was resentful to the idea that it was happening to me but i couldn't blame my dad for it i knew the situation i was old enough at that point to acknowledge what was going on in the world understand what was going on in the economy you know, not to the extent I could now, but like I knew it wasn't something he wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't exactly excited about the 13 hour round trip day to work. You know what I mean? Like he'd come yeah. home an hour and a half 
drive there. He was leaving at 5.36 in the morning, but he was like getting up and making us fresh baked muffins in the morning before he left, you know, mm. like he did what he could to take care of us and stuff like that. But it's like, he was gone for a long time. Yeah. And when he got home, like we'd start dinner. Like it got to the point where I think Clay and I are both pretty good cooks and home cooks. And I think where our love of food, a lot of it came from partially our grandmother. But I think uh, the fact that we were cooking at like 14, we were making dinner. Mm -hmm. And then, and like, cause, you know, <laughs> to Clay's point, her sister may have raised us to a point, but we eventually drove her to the point that she moved in with her mom because she didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, She's like, I'm out. Yeah, like, so I'm really going to get out of here. I think she finished the last year of school living in my mom's place. Yeah, um, she moved out at 16. Yeah, mm -hmm. so we got to a point where we were raising ourselves. You know, we had... We had some caretakers that were there, but we, you know, my dad would come home to us, chase them out the house with a broomstick, and and we were little terrors. <laughs> he, he couldn't keep a couldn't keep a babysitter, so we were uh, we were on our own, partially for that reason, and partially because, you know, I think we just got to a point where we could take care of ourselves. You know, mm. I can make a really good pot of pierogies. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. You should see Very my chicken important. strips. Yeah. So <laughs> they may not have been the healthiest meals, but we were cooking nonetheless, and I think uh, I think that. Uh, uh, again, create that independence that we carry today where yeah. uh, we uh, almost prefer doing things by yourself in a way. Well, I'd love to know what you were like individually as kids. Like, Cody, what were you like? Oh, yeah, we were very different in that sense. I think that, again, growing up as twins, you're always trying to find your own identity. You know what I mean? You're, we were, grew up getting bought the same gift for birthdays and Christmases. You know, we shared a lot of remember. gifts. I still remember. I think it was our... I think it was our 12th birthday and my friend that I invited, one of them and one of Cody's friends, both got us the exact same gift. No way. And I was just like, are you kidding me? It was that yellow and black Technics Lego set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I Michael was my buddy. I don't remember who you invited, but man, I was so choked when that <laughs> happened. But yeah, like we, our parents dressed the same. So like when you get to a certain age where you start gaining that independence, you're always trying to find your own identity. So I ended up getting into skateboarding um, and that's kind of where my life kind of went. I was skateboarding late with my friends. I was smoking weed. It's Maple Ridge, you know, as you do. And, uh, and I was out late doing that kind of thing. And I got into drinking a little bit too and that kind of stuff. I stopped, stopped caring about school as much. And, and that was kind of like my life was, was that trajectory. I mean, I was always good at school, but I just got bored of it, I think. Um, you know, I, I preferred hanging out with my friends and doing that sort of activity where I think Clay definitely this stayed a, bit more a lot more academic. Yeah, I, I, I kept my A average until I think at least grade 10 until I started yeah. not caring as much anymore. Yeah. But yeah. What were School. you like, like personality wise? Um, I think I was, I've all, I mean, to this day, I think I'm still probably a bit more of a, the responsible one. <laughs> 100%. You know, I, I take no more argument. calculated approach to how I make my decisions. Uh, and I've been like that since I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much, and then my, my wife reminds me of this constantly that I have a very similar personality to my father in that sense. Um, yeah, I, I, I was more of a nerd, and I can, I can say that with confidence today because it, it's who I am today and it's fine. But I was definitely, I, I spent a lot of time on the computer. All my buddies did. Uh, I, I, I did my homework and I studied, um, <laughs> but, uh, I did not. Yeah. Uh, Cody, was, Cody was, Cody was definitely the rebellious one. There's mm. no doubt about that. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. I had a few more arguments with my parents than Clay did. Yeah. That's for sure. And so tell me about your career trajectories then. You guys sort of 
you were telling me that you sort of switched roles a little bit where you went the corporate route, you went the hospitality route, but it didn't start off that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it was funny because like after school, like we'd both gone down to the States and we both moved back to, to Canada. Like we both moved out. I moved out when I was 17. I think Clay attempted to move out when he was 17, but he ended up injuring himself. So Broke both my wrists. Yeah, he moved out when he was 18, but like we were both out of the house pretty young. So I, I went straight into working. I didn't get to go to school or anything like that. It I, was think, like, I think you get to start from the beginning too, though. Like when we were 14 years old, my, my sister was eight years old. So I mentioned that. And so she had a lot of friends when we were 14, she was 22. She had a lot of friends who worked in bars and nightclubs and stuff. And like these guys would come around the house sometimes. And like when you're 14, like these are older guys that you looked up to. And like she got us a job at this at Breakaway Bar and Grill out of Planet Ice in Albion. Mm. I don't know if you remember that place. Mm-hmm, I do. Real hot spot. <laughs> and she got us a job there because she was working there at the time. And so that was like our first soiree into hospitality. It was we were busboys at this Breakaway Bar and Grill, working with all her friends who we looked up to as all these cool guys in our life. I'll yeah. let you continue. Yeah, they, they were like, we were smoking weed in the cooler and drinking after work and playing pool and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, like it was cool. Like, yeah. like when you're 14, like this was cool. Yeah, like this is something I never our, experienced our before. to McDonald's, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. We were getting $80, $100 tip-outs every night busing. Because yeah. like all of our friends were like, All oh, the Dr. Pepper you could drink. <laughs> like, I'm telling you. The number one thing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so I mean, we, we definitely got a, an introduction to that, that front of house bar life pretty early for sure. Like her her boyfriend for a long time was a bar manager there, I believe, and and he was working at Tommy's and stuff like that. Like, you remember Tommy's? I I'm do, sure. I yeah. do. He was like bartending <laughs> at Tommy's. His brother was an owner there, Cass McLeod. Mm. I don't know if you know who that is or not, Mm-mm. but uh, his brother was an owner there, and and yeah, we used to be able to get into the clubs at like 16 years old. Like, I was going to nightclubs at 16, bypassing the lines, you know, because I knew my my sister's boyfriend was the bartender and like, you know, we're rolling up <laughs> walking past this line of 200 people and, uh, you know, buying all those $1 highballs. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And it's when we, when we got to a point where we finished school, we moved back up here. Like I was working in this horrible job, like one of the worst jobs I've ever had by far. <clears throat> it, was a, yeah, it was a art in motion, art in motion. It was a framing company. Like we, we built, picture frames for like if you bought some yeah. horrible photo from winners uh, you know the, i built the frame yeah there's there's a place in gastown that, that does that kim prince yeah, yeah so, so i know was, what you mean this is like a massive warehouse so like 400 mm. people worked there like i was a cog in a giant factory and my my buddy that i moved in with he was working there so he got me a job so that when I got up here, I could start working right away. So I did like an interview over the phone. So, and I was like, I got a job there. I worked there for like two years and I was like, I need to not do this anymore. So I was dating this girl and and I decided, you know what, I'm just gonna go to school just as a a reason to not do this anymore. So I got into accounting because I was always good at math. You know, I was, I had to do some upgrade courses because of how dumb I was in high school. But uh, I uh, eventually got into Douglas College in New West and I started taking their accounting program and I was really good at it. And, uh, but it was like, I was still living on my own. I was paying for school by myself and there was all these things. So I had started working at Rogers video back when that was a thing still and (laughs) helping with some, like, uh, some, uh, housing flipping stuff that my brother-in-law was doing. Um, and then clay was 
taking this career path of working in nightclubs. You know, I think again, this kind of probably stems from our childhood of like me kind of being a little bit more of a partier in high school, whereas Clay wasn't and like, so that nightclub job role was maybe a little more appealing to him. I don't know. Again, this is all speculation, of course. No, but, no, uh, I just knew they made a lot of money. Yeah. Industry, that's all it was. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he asked if I wanted a job busing just to help with my income while I was going to school. And that was the, the downfall of everything, I guess, mm. or upfall. I don't know how you look at it. <laughs> but uh, but uh, we both started busing at uh, the standard nightclub in New West. Um, again, real hotspot. And uh, we eventually moved to a point where we were both barbacking and, you know, we were working together. It was like that hive mind, like we were running the whole space ourselves and making tons of money. I was like $400 a night in barback, you know, it was an unreal. So I was like, I remember sitting in class one time and, and I asked uh, my accounting teacher who had offered me a job because of how well I was doing in the course when I got out of school. And I said, well, what does somebody make? out of school as an accountant he said sixty thousand dollars and i'm like i think i'm making that as a bar back right now so i was like you know what i'm gonna take a year off like mm. <laughs> maybe this isn't what i want to do so i ended up dropping out of school and uh pursuing the bar thing and i eventually got a bartending job there and moved up to bar manager and blah 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 and that eventually took me into working in hospitality downtown right and uh yeah i was there for a while yeah, yeah. And then Clay, you went to you eventually went to BCIT. Yeah. yeah. So again, pulling it back at the start, <laughs> I got a job at Tommy's when I was nineteen years old. And <laughs> so I was working there as a busser for a couple of years or maybe a year, and I couldn't quite cover my living costs off of that salary. So I got a job at a warehouse. And so the warehouse was always just a means of of getting me to to the point where I can afford to go to school. I wanted to be an architectural uh, engineer. Like that's what I wanted to go to school for. I had, I had planned this out since I was a kid and I was like, bartending was gonna be the pathway for me to do that. I'll work on weekends, make good money, enough to cover my costs of school and my living expenses while I'm in school Monday to Friday, right? And so I was saving up at the time to try to go back to school for architectural engineering. And uh, it it uh it ended up leading just to me bartending more and then the lifestyle catches up to you and you're like okay i'm i'm i've been working in this industry for three years i haven't saved any money because i spend it all <laughs> like, this isn't <laughs> how i expect this to play out and so it was one of those uh you know forks in the road for me at that time i think it was 21. i had just started bartending at the standard uh, i'd been there for about a year and a half and I remember it was like New Year's night and I'm like coming home at 3 a.m. Just a horrible night. New Year's was always the worst because the worst people would come out and you just deal with the absolute worst of humanity at that point in time. <laughs> and I'm driving home. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I, I went into work at the warehouse where, again, it was just a stopgap job for me at the time. And I talked to my boss. I said, hey, what do I need to do to get promoted here? And he's like, well you know, do this and this and this. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I, I ended up getting the promotion. I got, got a inventory control supervisor job, pretty hot stuff. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you. Moving up. Yeah. And, and, and I quit, I quit the bar industry when they offered me that. And I was like, you know, this is, I'm just going to pursue this and see where it takes me. So I kind of, I gave up on my dream of being an architect at that time. And 
I said, okay, we'll see, see what, I can, what I can do here. And like, I knew that my bosses and my boss's bosses were making decent money. And I was, I climbed the corporate ladder pretty quick. Like it was uh, within five years, I had been promoted three times. And uh, I think I ended up working for that company for 13 years. It was a long time. That I is was a there. long time. Yeah, I, I started there when I was 20. And I left when I was 33. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I, when I left, I was the, the operations manager for, for the warehouse I was running. Uh, making making good money. I couldn't complain. It was, it was great. I would uh, just had my second kid. And then uh, I was homebrewing in my garage. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, that's right. As a means of subsidizing my drinking problem. <laughs> and... <laughs> I had approached Cody about uh, the idea of doing a brewery, craft brewery. I said, is this a thing? Like, is it getting popular? And this is before even some of the big guys today had opened. Like, I think at the time it was really just like Barrel 49 and maybe a couple I think more. Brassneck in 33 had opened. But that was maybe just, just opened. Maybe just. Yeah. And so I approached Cody and he's and he was working for Donnelly at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. He was running Clue Club in Gastown at the time, right. which was actually designed by Craig. Your, uh, no way. Oh, Craig yeah, that's right. He did Clue as well. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I used to go there, as, you know, back in the day when I was Yeah, still the original design of space was great. <laughs> yeah, Craig's design was great. Yeah. It was a cool room, <laughs> Honestly, I remember. Honestly, it's still one of my favorite rooms in the city. Yeah. It's, it's such a beautiful design there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, I, it, was one of, it was another fork in the road for me because, like, I was doing really well in my profession and I was like you know I, if I stayed on my career path I was going back to school at BCIT going for my uh, operations management certificate there part-time studies I was working full-time and then doing that at night three days a week and so I was I was like you know my trajectory here is pretty solid like I knew that if I stuck around for 10 more years I could probably be a VP make really good money and possibly retire early but like I looked at the people who were in that position and I'm like, do I want to be this person? Mm. <laughs> and like, they, feel they were, they were nice guys. I liked them. I got along with everybody really well, but I'm like, are you truly happy in what you're doing? Like, is this something that you dreamed about doing as a kid? And I'm like, no friggin' way you did. Mm. <laughs> no, no way you did. And so, it was one of those situations where I, I actually ended up taking a pretty big pay cut to, to come open the brewery with Cody and it was a couple of years of uh, tumultuous times and what was going on and but you know I mean it paid off in the end but yeah it yeah. was uh it was definitely a big risk to to, to do it for both of us too because he was making good money as a bartender his long-term career path probably didn't look as promising as mine but the, <laughs> the old I mean, 38 year old bartender ain't making the here. same amount of money but, <laughs> but yeah at the end of the day it was it was one of those situations where you know i had gone to school for this thing and i was like i'm, I'm kind of committed to it and like do i take the to take the risk do i take the leap and and it was it was it was a big step for us to do that um but obviously it turned out well and well in the end so i can't complain but yeah I, at yeah, the time it was, it was a tough sure. yeah taking a leap of faith on yourself to do something completely Oh, no, I'm fine taking a leap on myself. It was Cody I was worried about. No, No, but I mean, it it takes, I feel like it takes a lot of bravery for either one of you or anyone who does this to be like, you know what? I really want to do this. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Uh, I I mean, I did that two years ago. You know, I left a corporate job too, and I asked myself the same question you did. Um, You know, do I want 
the C-suite level job that I always thought I wanted. Yeah. And yeah, at the end of the, the day, the answer was no, because I could feel deep down inside that there was another direction for me. Yeah. One where I had a little bit more control and autonomy and well, that's the it's, thing is like i always love it's gonna be hard but yeah like when i was a kid i always loved cooking i loved i loved hospitality i like i didn't mention it, but i worked at the chinese food restaurant when i first moved back from california mm. and uh, a friend of mine adwin hired me on there and i met and i don't know he'll probably never listen to this podcast but his name was it was already mike right. and he was he was one of the bigger influences on me ever wanting to be in hospitality. And like, I don't, he probably doesn't know this to this day. I barely, I never see the guy anymore, but he was the coolest boss I've ever had in my life. Like, what made I, him cool? Just how he approached being a, a manager. Like he was fun to work for. He made work fun. I wanted to come there. He was hard on us to make sure we worked, but like he was cool about it. And, and I loved working in that kitchen. I still look back on that. And I loved sitting there, it was a Chinese restaurant, so I was manning a walk, you know, kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have a look, let me tell you. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Like, the, the kitchen lifestyle was a lot of fun. The camaraderie that happens back there, what goes on after hours, how you're hanging out, and just, like, vibing with your, your friends. You're just putting this absolute sweat fest of a shift for six hours. It's over now. Now you sit there, you're drinking out of a plastic container, hanging out with the guys, and just, like, it's relaxing and you know like you feel like a sense of accomplishment because you just got through that mm. and you build those kind of relationships in the kitchen and it's, it's always drawn me back to hospitality the front end stuff too was fun like working as a bartender but it was always that that time i spent in the kitchen that always drew me back mm. and, and so we've, we've been talking about opening restaurants since we were like 20 15 years yeah yeah yeah, yeah we when when we were both working in the industry i think it was I think we both have a laundry list of ideas of restaurants that we still want to open that we talked about 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. I still remember some of the names you're talking about. Yeah. Stuff like that. yeah. yeah. It seems one. like it's, I suppose that you guys needed to go through what you went through and, you know, put work in the kitchen or per, put work behind the bar. And that probably makes you better leaders because you actually know what it's like to be in the trenches for oh, your team. hundred percent. I yeah. think so. Yeah. I mean, I've worked in almost every single position in the front of house at this point from busser to GM. I've spent time in the kitchen working the dish pit. I worked the line at breakaway back in the day. Like I've spent time in a lot of roles in this kitchen. So I have, I think one of the biggest strengths that Clay and I have as leaders in industry is the ability to have perspective on other people's jobs and understanding what it's like to do that. You know, you can always mm -hmm. tell somebody who's never done the job when they try to tell somebody to do that job. They just don't have understand, any understanding of what it's like to do it. So I've always had the approach of like, you know, if it's not something I'd be willing to do, I'm not going to ask my employee to do mm. it in that sense. And, uh, you know, like I've, I've worked a dish pit uh, shift at Publish before when our dishwasher broke. You know, I'm going to help out because mm. like I'm, I'm not going to ask them to do something that I'm not going to do. So I think that having spent the time in the industry that we did, it gives us the ability to have that perspective in these new roles that we're now leading people so yeah absolutely and you guys when you when you started twin sale um twin sales brewing you guys were actually doing a ton of the building yourself yeah yeah, yeah that was cody fun. more so i was still working i had to guide kids i had to feed so i was still working. Yeah, yeah like i was yeah. i essentially uh i uh i took i quit well, quit working in the hospital at the time i was i was just bar managing because i had we'd 
planned this brewery open for for uh, a few years at this point. And uh, when we finally found the space and we finally got the lease and we finally got the financing and all the things that come along with starting a business, we it was time for me to to quit and take over the project management of building this place. And uh, you know, as we had mentioned earlier, like we were we were grossly underfunded. And we had to find ways to cut corners and save yeah, money. What, what happened is we had gone to uh, some inexperienced contractors and they gave us a quote. And then we used that quote to go and get financing. Mm. And then when we got time to get going, we went out and got a couple more quotes just to validate the price point. And everyone else coming in at almost double what our original contractor had quoted us. And we're like, hey, can you guys just like fact check your numbers? And then when they went back and we did a thorough quote for us it literally doubled in price and we're like guys we don't have an extra hundred ninety thousand dollars what are you talking about and so at the time about seventy thousand of that hundred and ninety was just their markup for contractor fees i'm like code if you take this on (laughs) we can save seventy thousand you need to do this for free but (laughs) you're not getting the 70 grand but i was still bartending (laughs) on the weekends to to make ends meet and it was under the table fortunately my employer was able to uh to help me out there so i was getting Mm. paid cash to help bartend and and the tips were really what i was after and then and then i was on you know ei at the time you know, which I figured I'm probably never going to get to use this again. I'm going to take advantage of it while I can. <laughs> so, so I was on EI for the eight months or so that we were building that place out and then uh, making some cash on the side to survive. But I was eating Michelinas and, and, uh, you Dr. Know, Oker's pizza. Yeah, do- a lot of Dr. Oker's pizzas, <laughs> which I still eat today because they're awesome. Because they are very good. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I lost a lot of weight, I'll tell you that much. I was eating lean. But, uh, but yeah, like I, I had to learn how to do everything. I was, you know, I, we rented bobcats and dug up the entire concrete slab ourselves. And I was digging trenches for plumbing and I was doing the glycol lines for our, our chilling system for our tanks. And I still remember the day that our, our, all of our equipment showed up and the, we bought all of our gear from China. Um, and they were supposed to send an engineer over to help assemble the system and his visa got denied. Oh, so yeah. they didn't send him, but because he didn't speak English, all of the instructions they had sent with the equipment was in Chinese. Everything was labeled in Chinese. And I was like, what am I supposed to do here? Uh, we ended up going to Craigslist and finding a Chinese English tutor that uh, we called down and she came down and spent two days with us just literally translating every single sticker on every single pipe and every single piece of equipment, every everything. And she just told, okay, this says ice water. Okay, I know that's glycol. This says hot water. Okay, that's for steam or this is for what? And we just labeled every pipe. This is two days, there's so much stuff. And I remember we, I was sitting there with my, my head brewer afterwards and we're looking at this pile of stuff that we had to build. And the best way I can I can say this is, it was like putting a jigsaw, a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle together without having ever seen the cover. You know, you can kind of figure out what it's supposed to look like by looking at it, but you have no idea. You know, so we were we were sitting there and just like trying to assemble this together. Like, okay, this <laughs> kind of looks like if this was here and there was another pipe that did a right angle and then that and then went up, then it might connect to that. And it was so insane trying to figure out how to put this together. We had no idea where they're supposed to sit, all the tanks. Like we had to figure out the alignments of how far they were supposed to be from each other for all the piping to connect perfectly. If mm. a pipe was off by two inches, it wasn't going together. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it was it was unbelievable. Like it definitely added a month 
month and a half to our timeline for opening, just trying to assemble this puzzle. Yeah. But uh, yeah, again, it, it allowed me to know intimately how our system worked and it allowed me to know, you know, I did a lot of the pair. I was, I remember having to swap out our, our motor and gearbox underneath one of our tanks one time. And we're like lifting the tank up and swapping out this massive gearbox and motor that I'm like, you know, <laughs> thinking back yeah. a year ago, I'm making, you know, vodka shots and <laughs> pouring Jameson like crazy. But and you now did I'm it. Changing gearboxes <laughs> on a on a mash ton. But uh, yeah, I mean, again, it taught me how to do a lot of stuff. I remember having to rewire a, a, a electrical panel that was staring at you know again something I'd never even seen before, and I've had to figure out how to change up control switches and power supplies and rewire rewire the entire thing because it wasn't csa approved apparently so mm. all of the wires weren't the right type of wire so i had to change all of the wire up you know stuff that i'm like i can't pay my electrician to do that because he quoted me eighteen thousand dollars right so, so getting your hands i dirty. gotta figure out how to do it you know yeah. and again it's it's paid off because nowadays when something breaks at our restaurants I can, can just go it. and fix it. Like, I'm not mm -hmm. kidding you. I'm leaving here today to go and install a new faucet for our hand wash sink because it's not working and I need to get it set up for code, you know? Yeah. And like, it's it's given me life skills that have been beneficial big time. And You know, we we're fortunate enough that our dad was a pretty handy guy. He was an electrician back in the day. So he kind of taught us how to do some of that stuff. Like, I, I know how to work on cars and that kind of thing. So it definitely gave me some framework to be able to do this but i think opening up twin sales learned i learned a lot like yeah, a I'm lot sure of stuff did. yeah with all the knowledge that you guys know now from opening twin sales and everything that you guys had to go through if you were going to give anyone advice who's you know a potential restaurateur that's looking at doing something like this what would you say to them everything's on google <laughs> you can literally google anything yeah <laughs> how to fix a pipe honestly i'm not even kidding you it's hilarious is yeah uh the one thing i find that differs a lot of people between an entrepreneur and somebody who's not is is doubt i don't doubt myself ever if i have to do something i know i can do it you know it's just a matter of learning how to do it you know the person who's a professional at doing that he learned how to do it at some point so it's possible to learn to do it. They weren't born with that skill. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, people are always before they doubt themselves before they even try. I will always try first. You mm -hmm. know, if I fail, I get it. It's part of learning. It's part of doing it. It is what it is. But like to anybody out there that wants to start a business, just have confidence in yourself. That's mm -hmm. the biggest thing. Because I remember the day that Clay and I first started Twin Sales, we were sitting there on the phone and we were, last day of subject removal for the lease that we took over and we were talking to each other about do we do this because we had you know i think thirty thousand dollars twenty five thousand dollars in our yeah, bank no at the money. time <laughs> and we were signing a place that was eleven thousand dollars a month in lease and we only had three months of free rent and i'm like are we doing this because we have yeah. three months to find a lot of money and i remember saying to him like you know what screw it let's just do it because if we don't do it then we may never find another opportunity. And that was it. It was like having the confidence to just say, let's do it, whatever, mm. we'll figure it out. You mm -hmm. know, like if we had doubted ourselves for a second there, we wouldn't be sitting here today. You know Absolutely. what I mean? So I think that's the biggest thing that I always talk to people about is like, just have confidence. If it's, if you fail, so what, you yeah. know, 
Yeah. What's really going to happen? What would you, you know? say, Clay? Oh, I hate this question. I get asked this so often. I never know what to say. <laughs> I mean, to... <laughs> I, I apologize mean, for the question. No, it's, question. it's not you. It's the 50 <laughs> other people who asked it to me, I think. No, honestly, like, it, it is. It's just taking the leap, you know. It, it's, it's, it's believing in yourself and believing that you can do it. You know, I, again, you circle back to, to what you asked me earlier about my personality. I'm very much uh, a planner. And, like, you can never do too much planning. Like, you can plan till the, till the cows come home. And you're still not going to be right with this stuff. Like, something's always going to come up. But the more barriers you can mitigate through the process, the better chance you give yourself at, at success mm. you know and that's what i've found in life is like if you put the time and effort into ahead of time to prepare and plan for something uh then then you're going to mitigate how many issues you're going to come across through the journey makes a ton so, of sense mm-hmm. yeah cody's always been the optimist i'm the realist and so i sit here <laughs> i just plan you need both you do need both <laughs> i'm usually planning as he's swimming and so i'm trying to build the bridge <laughs> but <laughs> No, it, I mean, it's true. I mean, take take the leap is, is definitely the biggest thing, is just believing in yourself and believing you can do it. Um, Having a good partner is always there's definitely Especially a, when they're your brother. There's yeah. definitely there's some process involved. Don't just take the leap without putting in some work yeah, first. Right. There's a lot of that work that you have to do up front. Yeah, a lot of planning and understanding. Like what structure and systems into. and yeah. things like that. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we're at the point now where, like, we're opening two restaurants right now. And, you know, we've done it a couple of times. I've been through it. It's a little easier now. But, like, I remember that first time. Like, you're pulling your hair out. You don't know what the hell you're doing. Like, you're behind schedule by almost a year. You know, nothing seems to go right. You're over budget by 50%. And it's like, you can plan all you want, but you can't foresee everything. Mm. And so that first time, especially, you kind of just have to take the leap. Mm. But still put as much work in as you can because it is a lot of work. So take me through your guys's creative process when it comes to founding an establishment you know how does it form in your mind and then how does it go from there in your mind to an idea tangibly in real life do you guys have a process or is it more like we just kind of riff and then it feels good and then we start to kind of plan yeah I mean there's a lot of inspiration involved for me I mean I I spend a lot of time on Instagram pages and kind of like trend sites and stuff like that kind of finding out what's going on like when i find something that i think is cool and fun like i, I definitely dive in I, I i nerd out a lot when i i get into something i like spend a lot of time we're open up a novella coffee shop fairly soon i'm so excited yeah <laughs> and uh and when we first started talking about opening a coffee shop like i immediately went out and bought pour over equipment you know i started learning about coffee Mm. And I spent a lot, I bought books, I was reading, I was nerding out on blogs and all this stuff and drinking as much coffee as I possibly could. Just to understand, like, I, I very much need to know how things work. I need to understand things a lot. So I, uh, I'll dive headfirst into it. You know, natural wine, like we have Barsusu. Uh, before we opened up, published, I'd never had a drop of natural wine in my life. But I started drinking a little bit and, and again, to, to better understand what we were selling, I just geeked out on blogs and reading and all this stuff and just to better understand what natural wine is. Same thing with beer. Before we opened up Twin Sales, you know, I was drinking Miller. <laughs> I, didn't, I wasn't drinking craft beer at all. It was clay that got me into it. So when we decided to open up a brewery, again, I just dove into craft beer and I just 
you know, like learn as much as I possibly could about it so that I could talk about it. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good at, 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 you know, absorbing information. So, so when I read stuff about, about what we're doing, it's, it's pretty much, I, I can retain a lot of information about that. So it helps for sure. And, and, uh, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's all about stuff that we're interested in. That's the biggest thing is I don't ever want to do something that I don't love. You know, we're fortunate enough that like, you know, we own a brewery who doesn't want a brewery, you know, we're partners on a natural wine brand now who doesn't love wine. You know, we're about to open a coffee shop who doesn't drink coffee, you know, like we're, we're opened up two phenomenal restaurants. It's like everything that I get to do is something that I really love. And I think that's really where it starts for me is like, if I'm passionate about something, if I really want like something, that's really where I'm going to try to steer our next project. And it's just finding as much about out about that before we go that route as possible that I can so that when we do do it, we have a great chance of success. Success. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I very I very rarely go into something blind as much as Clay likes to think I do. But, uh, <laughs> I, I just like to start. I love the rolling of side. the eyes. Here. It's really just a lot of heavy sighs. Yeah, yeah, I just I like to I like to get the ball rolling Another before one. we should sometimes for sure. <laughs> but uh, but uh, eventually the ball starts rolling the right direction. So yeah. yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's all just about passions for me, and and mm. yeah, I think I've always been. In, in love with the hospitality industry and and then uh you know wine was always something that i've been a big fan of and you know i've got aspirations to go distilling routes and stuff like that as well too and that kind of thing and, and we've, we've got a bunch of fun ideas that we want to explore for sure but uh yeah i think it all starts about what we're into what we're passionate about what, what's exciting that kind of thing so yeah do you have anything Anything, any thoughts around no, that too? No, I leave no? that 100% on him. Okay. <laughs> I do remember if I'm, you saying that. Yeah, yeah. If I'm into the idea, I jump on it. You know? Yeah. He comes to me with some ideas. I'm like, dude, come on. Come on. This sounds a lot like my friends, Zach and Ryan, who started the juice truck. I okay, feel like yeah, you're yeah. like Zach, Cody is, and then you're <laughs> like Ryan. So Zach is the idea. And, the, and they've, they've been on my pod and, and they've said this where – you know, Zach has all of the ideas and they're great ideas. And then Ryan will come in and say, yeah, no. Or yeah, <laughs> yes, we can do that. Like from the practicality operation standpoint. So yeah, I'm seeing I, that, I, I like that to think same that my, vibe here. My ideas create revenue. Clay's ideas make profit. So like that's kind of our two <laughs> sides of the story is like I come up with the idea that's going to generate the revenue. Clay turns that revenue into profit. Yeah. It's yeah. like it's you need the yin and yang. It's like that ops person and the the, the development person. Exactly. It's, it's, exactly. I think if if you have two of these, it's not going to work. If you have two of Clay's, it's not going to work. So like if you have the right balance of personalities behind your company, it's, it gives you mm -hmm. the best chance of success for sure. I do remember something that you said in our, our very first conversation and you had been saying that you have, you know, former colleagues who come up to you and they're like, "Hey, how did you, how did you do all of this?" And I remember you you had some sage words around how this all came to be and how you can do this. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't remember the conversation specifically, but I, I think going going back to like where how we got here, it's all just about having the right people around you, asking the right questions. And like, I've been fortunate enough that when, when what really changed my trajectory in life was when I started hanging out with different people, our conversations changed. It went from gossiping to talking about ideas. And, and it's a really cheesy thing that you'll see in a lot of these like inspirational talks and all that stuff. But like, it's really true. Like 
my friends turned from you know bartender buddies that we'd gossip about people that we worked with and that kind of thing that that was kind of the general conversation that we had and it became conversations about business ideas and like learning from people that have done it and that kind of thing and like that's really <clears throat> where i think people can change their trajectories in life is just understanding that the people that you surround yourself are really going to help guide where your life goes um and uh and I think that's really it. Like it's 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 the ideas conversation part that for me that really gets things exciting. Like I I like I said I build from a lot of inspiration from other people and what other people are doing and that kind of thing. And uh, I think when you're not having those conversations, that inspiration just never really comes. You know, gossip rarely leads to a, kind of a business idea. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. so yeah that's that's for me it's doesn't it's, ever lead to good things <laughs> yeah right so uh good conversation maybe yeah but uh maybe some laughs yeah <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah i mean that's kind of always why you know i think the future of what we want to do with our company is is definitely you know i, I love opening stuff but i we want to get to a point where we can start investing in some people that we believe in as well and and finding the right people that want to do projects that maybe don't have the means yet or don't have the know-how yet or whatever it is and and helping almost in an incubation kind of style mm -hmm. like helping other people prosper um, yeah. in a way um, i think that there's so many really cool ideas that i've heard from people that they want to open and do their own thing but it never comes to happen and I bump into them years later and I'm like, whatever happened to that? Did you ever get that going? It's like, no. And it's like, well, that's too bad. Like I would have loved to see that exist in this world, right? Mm -hmm. So I think getting to a point where where maybe we have too much of our own stuff on the go and helping other people get their stuff going is something I'd love to see happen. Yeah, and that's the philosophy of box set, which is a total great segue into the conversation. I mean, the question that I was going to ask anyway. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, so that's the philosophy of that. Eventually, is that box set invests in emerging entrepreneurs. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I think that's mm -hmm. where we want to go. That. I mean, we have a great group of partners um, within box set right now. And, you know, Clay and I are obviously the the main operating partners within our company, but we have a few others. You know, or uh, one of our good friends, Richard, who is a lawyer, um, is a partner of ours. Um, our friend Eric owns his own accounting firm. Our friend Chris is uh, in finance. So again, as a group of people, we have a lot of skills that we can offer somebody who's starting trying to start a business. Um, just with the five of us, but we're trying to build a team around us as well of people that are architects and designers and engineers and photographers and social media managers and that kind of thing. So that when you do come to us for assistance, you know, we can help you with financing or we can help you get financing or we can help you with the startup portion or we can help you up with the marketing portion or the design or whatever it is. Like we want to kind of be a catch all for like, I'm stuck here. Can you help me? Mm. kind of thing and then we want to just again we want to see cool stuff in vancouver happen i feel like vancouver's scene was a little bit stagnant for a long time like that's kind of what led gus and i to starting published was like you know we we're bored of the food scene there was four or five restaurants that we liked eating at and, and people come to town where should i go and you're like okay i guess go to here and go to there and you're just saying the same list over and over and we like we got to do something to reignite hospitality in vancouver and that was where like the, the idea of our restaurants really came from was like, let's do something that people aren't doing in Vancouver yet. So, so I think that that's kind of where we're at is like, I want to be able, be able to create more cool stuff in the city. Yeah. You know, so not here, just hospitality. No, I mean, yeah. I, not necessarily. Like I'd, I'd love to see other people's success stories for sure. Like I, I know that I have a friend of mine that wants to open a gym 
And it sounds like a really cool concept for a gym. And I'm like, I would love to find a way one day to be able to help you make that happen. Cause mm -hmm. like that's a gym that I'd want to go to. You know what I mean? So again, there's stuff like that, that I think it's, as long as it's an idea that we believe in, I'm happy to help make it happen because mm -hmm. again, the city needs cool stuff. Totally. It just makes my life a lot more fun. Too, so. <laughs> and, well, speaking of published, congratulations, Canada's top restaurant for 2022. Yeah. 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 Was it did that win surprise you guys at all? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they obviously give you enough emails ahead of time that you know you want something. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, Cody, Cody, believe it or not, was like like quietly confident that we were number 1 and me being the realist said there's no friggin' way in hell <laughs> that we're number 1. It's just not happening. I said top 10. Power of positive thinking. I'll give you that. Yeah. And you know what's funny is I use that line on my wife all the time. <laughs> I use it on her, I think this morning. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, i'm like there's no way and like i i i was maybe just tempering my own expectations um but yeah like we were confident it was top 10 just because like cody said they, they they came out and photographed our, sh our chef and asked for a bunch of information did an article and so we knew something was up they don't do that for number 18 yeah you know so like pretty confident we were top 10 but like number one i'm like there's no way like we went to aloe last year and they were the incumbent number one and we're For like four years running actually mm. yeah and we're like i just have a hard time believing we're going to pass them that was a pretty amazing meal we had there last yeah. september and and even even st lawrence like phenomenal restaurant and they were number two last year i'm like i've eaten there the food's yeah, phenomenal. it is very like, good there yeah very cool things and so i'm like if we could pass those two guys like you know, pigs are now flying. And so, I mean, there's no way we're number one. And sure, sure enough, he was right. And I hate admitting when he is because he quite often is and it drives me crazy. But the, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was absolutely insane. I think we were both sitting there and uh, who found out first? Was it I Gus? Did. Yeah, Gus texted because Gus was at yeah, the event. Gus was at uh, okay. And uh, he texted me before he went up because he found out. He's like, yo, we're number one. That's, and that's I was like, awesome. Dude, what? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, so we were, I was obviously texting everybody immediately. Like it was pretty wild. And we were all watching live too. Yeah. Just to oh, get the that's results. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we all had that. Such a good feeling, I'm sure. Pretty big celebrations that night. <laughs> that you can't remember. <laughs> yeah. The, the wife let me have a, 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 a hall pass on that night. I'm a little late. That's so great. Yeah, I, that's so wonderful. I'm, I'm really happy for you guys. I'm curious to know that um, with as many team members that you have across different establishments that have different feels, I think you were saying you have about 120 right now, projecting to like have over 150. Um, how do you maintain that box set collective culture when you've got different establishments with different feels? Like, how do you make sure that that your values are apparent in each establishment? It's, it's interesting. So I, I come from a corporate background. Like I said, I worked at corporate in the corporate industry for like 13 years. And we, we went through a lot of culture training there and like, it was mostly trash. You know, it was like, it was just, they just candy coat everything. It's like this company's, I mean, law, I work for Loblaw companies and like it's a billion dollar company, like multi-billion. It's the, they employ more people than the government. They're the largest employer in Canada, 250,000 employees across the country. And so you can imagine when they, they do a culture installation within that, that company, it's millions upon millions of dollars. So these these companies come in and they just slap together this stuff. I remember the one that was going on when I left was this thing called Blue Culture. And 
you sit there and as, as, as someone who can actually think, you know, for themselves, you perspectively look at this stuff and it's like, this just boils down to being a good person and like doing right by people. Like this isn't rocket science. No one's reinventing the wheel. They're just telling you not to be an asshole. <laughs> can you say that by the <laughs> way? Sorry, <laughs> <Or>, yeah. <laughs> Excuse my French. But yes, you can. You can swear. Like okay. lots of people have. Don't worry. <laughs> but like that's what it was. And I remember thinking, I'm like, why can't we just say that? You know? And like, and so like when I when I've and I've been a, I've you know I've been in a, a boss when I worked for them, and I, I ran a, a, a hundred and eighty person operation, and and you know we had. We, we do these things called um, annual employee surveys to, to track uh, colleague engagement, how, if they enjoy working there. And you, I got to try to convince some 22-year-old kid that working in a warehouse is fun. Like, it's not fun. Like, it is a horrible. <laughs> You've been there. I, were, I started at the bottom. <laughs> it was horrible. You know, like, no one wants to go to work all day and lift 4,000 pounds of other people's merchandise in an eight hour shift and ship it off to somewhere they'll never see again. Like it's not an enjoyable job, but like we had to make it fun through engagement, you know? Mm. And that's something that, I mean, it's, and it was so hard to do. And so like you come in an industry like, like, like hospitality and it, like, it actually is fun. Like people actually <laughs> enjoy working there. Like you get to hang out and do cool stuff. You're, you know, especially the, the creative freedom that we give a lot of our staff to like, to be creative and, and try new dishes, try new drinks, try new new processes that they've never done. And we give them the creative freedom and the money and, and, and tools to do that. And you know, I think that drives a lot of why people enjoy working for us because we're not we're we're risk takers ourselves. We're willing to put the in, in the investment into the individual because we believe in them and we believe that they can do cool things. Hmm. And yeah. so it doesn't matter which which location you're at, because they do definitely have their own vibe. Like you walk into Susu or or you walk in a publisher, you walk into twin sales, and the vibe is very much different. It's not the same when you go from one to one, but like understanding that the core principle of it is just being a nice person and treating these people with respect and how they want to be treated, it's not hard to build a culture because it kind of creates itself. Hmm. Yeah, I think that um, one thing that I've been told by a few people that I work with um, is that the one thing they've enjoyed working with Clay and I about is that we are very much the opposite of micromanagers. I understand from a long for a long time now that we're not in the hospitality industry. We're in the people industry. It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you employ people, you're in the people industry. And if you want to succeed in whatever you're doing, you need to have the best people. And I think getting the best people working with us means that we need to find a way to make them happy. And when you're in an industry like hospitality, like it's the only interesting part about your job really is the creative part of it. You know, I give our bar managers complete totality on their program. I'm a bartender, but I'm not going to pretend I can do their job better than them. You know, like there's a lot of people in this industry that try to control what's happening in their restaurants. And if you want people that actually are great at what they do, they're usually the creative types that don't like that control. And if you can give them the creative freedom to do what they want, you're going to get the best out of them. You know, like I'll give them some framework on where to go. But like how they get there is their own journey. And I think that allowing them to have that is, is really what draws people to come and work with us. Because we've pulled some people that work with us that are unbelievably talented from restaurants that are very good restaurants. And I've always wondered how this happens. And somebody, I, I was having drinks with a, one of our coworkers not too long ago, and they had 
brought that up to me and I never really thought about it because it was just an inherent thing that I just assumed that's how you'd want to run a business. And they pointed that out and I'm like, oh, I never really thought about it like that. Like it's just kind of came second nature to me as, as being somebody who, when I was working for other people, was chokeholded a lot. You know, I was always told to make their ideas work. And when they didn't work, I was when we got in trouble for it. And I was like, I'm never going to do that. Like that sounds like a terrible way to run a company. Mm. So when we started in the hospitality industry, I never really did that. It was like, hey, dude, you're the chef or you're the bar manager or you're the whatever. Just do your job. And they do their job. If you believe somebody's going to do their job, then they're going to do their job, you know, especially when you have the right person. And I think that's really what's allowed us to succeed in this industry is this the people have been amazing at what they do and we've let them do their thing. Mm. So and I think that culture of like, I guess, you know, confidence in our team and allowing them to have that belief in themselves and success they feel a part of the successes of the company and uh as opposed to like watching you gloat about your successes because it was your idea and your thing whatever right like they yeah. feel have they have that sense of accomplishment so right I they're not just another cog exactly, in your right. wheel you know? you know i use the we terms a lot the mm. us that thing like i rarely say me my like it's just kind of like something that we've you know, I've eventually gotten used to doing so that I make sure that I'm inclusive of everybody. Like it's our success. It's not mine. It's right. ours. And I think that's really what a lot of people fail at doing in, in when they open their own business is they forget that this is a people business, regardless mm-hmm. of what you're doing. So, yeah, you know, I've always been fascinated by the passion and, and skills of, you know, winemakers and brewers and chefs. Like I think they're, they're artists, like, to your point of giving people creative space so that they can make their ideas come to life. Um, what have you learned from these essentially artists? What have you learned from them? A lot, honestly, like I've, like I said, like when we got into wine, like our, our wine project at Susu um, stemmed from a person. Um, our our uh, wine director there, Britt, uh, Brittany Horn, she is somebody that I used to go visit at another local wine bar in town and uh being served by her i was addicted to it you know she was so much fun she 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 was a, she's the type of person that like after a 10 minute conversation can make you fall in love with wine like it's unbelievable and i was like i need to do something with you like it was i was drawn to like opening a project with her and uh Someone we got. She romanticizes it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. So her storytelling. It's storytelling. I was telling yeah. some friends the other day. I'm like that they're not fans of of natural wine. I gave them a couple of bottles of ours, and they just didn't dig it. And I'm like, honestly, come down to Susu, let Brit romanticize wine for you for one night, and you'll mm. fall in love with it. Yeah, and she she's just the type of person like she just her passion. You it just comes through so much in in how she she approaches service and. Uh, and yeah, it was like that, like her as a person stemmed the idea for Susu. Like, I'm like, I need to do this with you. Um, you know, like we have, and it's just one person in our program. Like, you know, we got some, like Joe, for instance, our, our bar director, somebody I just enjoy talking about bar culture with, you know, our, our GM at Susu, Aaron, he's just some, somebody I like talking to hospitality with. We just spit ideas back and forth. It's fun. You know, Gus, you know, watching him create food is like, it's awe-inspiring. Like every time I go on there, I'm learning something and I, I'm just, I'm addicted to learning in that sense. Like I said, I deep dive into stuff when we get into it. So like being surrounded by people that are so knowledgeable at what they do is just, it's inspirational every day. I got to go in there and learn something. Mm-hmm. And I always 
take that approach with our, our restaurants is like, I want our guests to be able to feel that when they leave our restaurant, they've learned something, you know, because everybody wants to feel smart. You know, it's, it's nobody who wants to be the dumb guy in the room or the dumb girl in the room. So when you can leave a restaurant knowing or learning something, like you're excited to go back because you get to take your friend who hasn't been there yet and you get to teach them about it in a sense, you know, mm. or they get to learn about it. You get to watch that happen. And like, that's exciting. Like it, it's not just a good meal anymore. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I feel the same way about being inspired by, by people like this. So yeah, yeah I deeply feel that. Um, well, I'm just mindful of your guys' time, so I just have a few more questions. Yeah, sure. This one's a bit of a, a fun one. I've never asked this, this one before, and it's it's not my question. It's clearly not mine. <laughs> I didn't make it up, but I do love hearing the answers to this question. If you were able to put together an amazing guest list for a dinner, anyone dead or alive, who would you invite? <laughs> oh, man, how much time do we have to think about that? <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe one person each that you would choose. And then my additional question after that is what would be on the menu for this epic dinner? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't even tell you. Cause like the funny thing is, is like, I don't mind. Yeah. Clay, Clay, you take it first then. Uh, I would invite uh, Anthony Bourdain. I grew mm. up watching his shows uh, yeah. and mm -hmm. he was always seemed like such an amazing character. I loved him. Like who he was and how he went about life and how he approached his shows and his, his, uh, his media. But yeah, he, I think he'd be an amazing person to spend a night with someone mm. who understands the industry, the culture and like can appreciate a good meal. And clearly sure. a people person because yeah. of, I don't think I ever cried over a celebrity death. <laughs> but I cried when Bourdain died because I was the same thing. I watched every show, yeah, every sure. single one, every show that he ever did. Um, read his books, Kitchen Confidential, amazing yeah. book. Uh, he's definitely left a, a hole yeah, in for that. Sure. But he really he brought he brought understanding to the world about different cultures. That yeah, I, I remember one line from one of his shows. He was in, I believe he was in Rome, and he was sitting there eating uh, cacio pepe at this little spot. And he says, you know, I, I almost hate what I do because I kill what I love. He's like, this restaurant, when this show releases, is going to get inundated with tourism. And it's not going to be what it is today mm. because I'm going to make it so popular that people will no longer enjoy it. <laughs> And it was one of those things that really Ooh, stuck with me. That gets you in the heart. <laughs> it is, yeah. I felt that one. Yeah. yeah. Killing what you love. That's yeah. crazy. I mean, he was a writer and, got, yeah, he, he was an artistic soul. Like, yeah. the way he even wrote his, his episode scripts, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Did you think of one yet? No. <laughs> okay, no. how about what, what would be on the menu? You pick what would be on the menu then. Like food-wise? Yeah, food-wise. Or drink-wise. I don't know. I mean, I obviously really good wine. I am so obsessed with natural wine right now. It's it's all I want to drink all the time. I'm actually going to you know, process wine tomorrow, and I'm excited about it. You know, like getting my hands dirty. But uh, definitely a lot of wine, a lot of wine. Um, and honestly, I I love pizza. That's my my favorite food on the planet, mm. without a doubt. I could eat it every day. We have a, a pizza restaurant now that we're opening up that I'm super excited about. I uh, there's a thing called pizza wine. You mm. know, pizza wine is just like super bright, fun, acidic, jammy wine that goes really well with pizza. Mm. So pizza and pizza wine, 100%. I'm into that. Well, I mean, I don't drink wine anymore, but that sounds very, very good. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, it's just cat. I, I'm, I've, you know, 
unbeknownst because of the restaurants that we know, I like casual stuff. Like mm. when we opened up Publish, the whole intention was there was to be a casual restaurant. Like we never wanted to be this, you know, number one highly toted restaurant with like all the serious, you know, press behind it. We're just a casual neighborhood restaurant that served really good food. Mm. And it's kind of evolved by our clientele. But, uh, you know, that was, again, one of the drives behind behind Susu was like, I want to open that spot that is going to stay fun you know and that's what i love about susu is it's fun mm, you know mm-hmm. like the vibe in there the people that we have there are all just there to have a good time and like we push that so i think that's kind of where i would want to go like i'm i'm you, you look at me I'm not, <laughs> I'm not wearing a collared shirt i'm not that guy i'm not stuffy I, I i like to have a good time and i think that's it's it'd be casual pizza and wine mm, i yeah. like it i like it well yeah. two more questions for you guys so you guys have been on this pretty incredible journey as brothers over these past number of years, you know, building all that you have now and all the things that are to come. And so this question is for each of you. In terms of growth as a human, what have you observed about one another that you'd like the other one to know? God. I want you to know something. That him and I do not compliment each other. I know. Ever, I, ever so this will. is what this is all about. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is going against every grain of uh, ounce of who I am. I don't know. Uh, for me, I, Clay's, Clay's helped me a lot with uh, culture stuff. You know, like we've talked about this at, at length during this conversation, um, but he's helped me with how to be a better leader, how to be a better understanding of people that we work with and that kind of thing. And I, I, I always talk about leadership in our company. Um, again, when you, when you run a people business as we do, you know, how getting the best people is all about leadership. And I talk about it a lot, but when we opened up Twin Sales, I had no idea. And Clay taught me a lot about that stuff. And uh, I think, again, it comes from his corporate background, if you will. <laughs> Some of those horrible <laughs> conversations he used to sit through. But uh, he helped me understand that. Because when we first opened Twin Sales, like, I was still a former bartender, a bit of an idiot, you know, that kind of thing. And he's helped me kind of become a better person in that sense, in the leadership role. So definitely that. Mm. <laughs> no getting out of this for, question <laughs> honestly Play. for me it was honestly just cody's work ethic i've never seen somebody as driven as he is to succeed uh and like i get exhausted sometimes trying to keep up with the pace and uh yeah i think it's something and it, it, it kind of shocked me in some sense because he was always a lazy kid you know like when we were growing up <laughs> he never wanted to do anything he fought against having to do it and like to the man he is today, like he is so driven and so motivated and so hardworking. It's it's inspirational, really. I also mm-hmm. had severe sleep apnea for most of my life. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and people can evolve and change. Yeah. It was most of the sleep apnea. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is a sleep apnea. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. yeah. Well, the final question that I ask every guest is. With what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? Cool stuff. <laughs> uh, in the sense that I want people to be um, impressed at some of the stuff that we did in that sense. Not so much impressed as like, you know, I, I, I'm so obsessed with having open, cool things, like fun stuff that people are going to enjoy. Like I like 
Like I remember I've always sat in our restaurants when we open them and watching people's faces when they walk in and like seeing the enjoyment that they get when they're in there. And like, you know, the fact that when we get to open a restaurant now, people are actually going to pay attention to it. That is what I'm excited about. You know, I want when we leave this industry eventually to, to have people talk about us as being one of the better restaurant companies in the world or in the, in the city. And that's what excites me is like people having enjoyed what we've done in that sense. Um, really. I like it. Yeah. And you, Clay? I'm a cheese ball and a family man. So for me, it's really just about leaving a lasting legacy for my family and my kids. Mm. I want to leave something behind that they're going to be proud of. And they're, with all the sacrifices and effort we put in at this time in our lives, it was worth it. That's mm. really what it is. I love it. Beautiful. Well, thank you for your time. And everybody, Novella is opening up soon i think right? soonish yeah soonish? Yeah, yeah yeah we're uh, just building the last few pieces of the puzzle right now so Amazing. somewhere between three and 60 60 weeks yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> it's a long range but anyway i'm very excited for it it's pretty close to my house not as close as bar susu but it's very close and i can't wait to frequent that establishment as well yeah yeah, yeah i really enjoyed this i've really enjoyed getting to know you guys you guys are so down to earth and you have great energy. So thanks for spending your time with me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. As always, thank you for being here and for listening. To learn more about today's guest, visit the episode page for show notes and links on wearethecraft.com. You can find the entire podcast archive here or explore more conversations with past guests on Spotify and Apple. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on these platforms, including YouTube, to get notified when new episodes drop. Any likes and shares on social media are deeply appreciated too. Sound and audio engineering for the show are by Andrew and Jaba Gaspis. All guest portraits and images are by Juno Kim. Appreciate you all and see you again soon.